Hi guys, it's Rodrigo again, and today is the second episode of the series, and this one's a little special for me because uh, we're going to be sitting down with Casey Lee, who's one of my mentors, and he's someone I really look up to. So, a little bit about him, he's the CEO of Bitesight, which is a software as a solution company, uh, and he also is a volunteer professor at the University of Ottawa, and that's Taking his course in first year is kind of where I first met him. So I, I have a lot to learn from him and I hope that you guys can see how much of an inspiration he is. It's kind of funny being like super formal in front of a group of like 10 people. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Thank you, glad to come. That's awesome. So today we'll be answering some of your questions. Uh, so I guess what I guess what we can start off with is like some rapid fire questions. Uh, these are just some questions I came up with. Um, Do they have to be rapid answer? No, just, no I guess not. It's, it's supposed to be simple answers, okay, like okay. one word answers. Which is not my forte. Yeah. And so some of these questions are controversial. Oh, yeah. Okay. In at least the software community. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who did I vote for? Who did I vote for in the federal election? Yeah. Uh, okay, so the first question is. Favorite operating system, so Mac, uh, Windows, or uh, Linux? And I have to answer in one word. I can't explain yeah, my reasoning. Well, like, you can you can pick, you can state your uh, option, and then you can explain the why. But I'm just saying, a lot of if, if you say one answer, the audience does not like it. I think I'll have to say Mac OS X. Woo! Sorry, OS 10. Sorry, OS 10. That's how it's pronounced. Yes. Yeah. Looks like people are. The audience likes. Two or three people. Right? <laughs> okay, uh, the next question is uh, Android or iOS? iOS. Woo! Okay. <laughs> Do you have a reason for the hands? Actually, okay, if I'm to be 100% fair, I've never really used an Android phone. <laughs> um, like it's one of those things that when you when you use it, like if you're an iOS user, I'm sure it's the same for Android users who go to iOS. It's just like everything doesn't make sense. Yeah. My wife recently got uh, not recently, like the last year, she got she, she's iOS as well, but for work she got an Android phone, and the frustration she explains to me is just like this is crazy. Okay, objectively, objectively, I think it's nice. How iOS controls the operating system whole, like Apple controls that. I think Android, obviously, one of the biggest issues is that you have so many different flavors of Android, and people do all the different things. I think, I think that is is definitely a mess. So, I've seen like a bunch of. I, I watched MTV see a lot. Yeah, 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 probably. And there's this one video where he talks about like the ecosystem. Yes, yes. Of Apple, and I think that's one of the biggest like positive factors. Or the advantages it has over uh, Android. Right, right, right. But it's interesting though, right? Because I, I use iOS, but I use a lot of Google services. Like I use Gmail, Google Calendar, you know, like so. And, and, and not to mention, like, the, the thing I really hate about iOS basically is this, just Siri is lacking. Yeah. Uh, Siri is like way behind. <laughs> that actually goes like, into my next question. Okay, okay. For personal assistance, right? Yes. Siri, Google Assistant, or Alexa. Okay, so I own. Uh, Google, Google Home, okay. uh, Google Assistant. Um, so, Siri was like just no question, not, not the way to go. <laughs> and, and, and the only way to get it was like the only way to have a, a always listening, well, your phone, I guess you have a Siri, but a home mod was like $400, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, not crazy, I mean, for listening to music, it's amazing, but I mean, for just an assistant, it's, it's super expensive. And so it was kind of between like Google or Amazon. and. I've heard that Amazon is quite ahead in terms of integrations than Google is, but I, I trust Google more as a software company than Amazon. I like just as an example, like AWS is is sick in terms of like there's so many services and it's really cheap and all that stuff like that. But it is such a mess of an infrastructure. You go in there and you have like like a hundred services and you have to like 
massive amounts of documentation. You don't know what is out of date, what's supposed to be. I tried to build a secure IoT device using Amazon's IoT thing, and it was just like, I can't stand AWS right now. Um, so I trust Google's like, philosophies around software development and stuff like that. So I was kind of like, I went to Google. Plus, the Google Home Mini was on sale that week. So I bought that, and then I kind of stuck with it. And at this point, I feel like they're probably pretty equivalent for what I'm using it for, like lights, TV, that kind of stuff. So, okay, thanks for sharing this. What is your favorite programming language? Yes. And you can definitely say why. Okay. Um, okay, strict programming language is tough. Like, like framework is easier to pick, I think. Like, like my favorite framework or favorite library, I think it's easier to pick. Straight programming language is tough because I think most programming languages are um, are, are pretty like similar. Yeah. Um, there's like little features here and there that make them move one about the other. Like, there are a couple programming languages that I really don't like, but it's probably more just because I'm not good at them. I've talked to Justin about this, but I, I low with Objective-C. Uh, it's, just, it's just really hard to program in Objective-C, in my opinion. Um, for the last seven, or I guess nine years, I've been programming heavily in Ruby. Um, uh, but that's more because of the framework. Like Rails is an awesome framework. It's not necessarily Ruby is a, is a particular good language. But there are, are aspects of Ruby that I really do like. I, I do like minimalist languages. Uh, and what I mean by that is I like languages that uh, it doesn't take a lot of code to get something going. So you know a lot of you know a lot of times like say even like uh, in Java like setting up a class is a lot more lines than setting up a class in Ruby. Setting up a variable uh, can be a lot more lines of code in Objective C than it is in you know Ruby these kind of things, right? Um, I, I totally recognize the advantages when you have like strongly typed stuff and declaring header files and all these kind of things. Um, I just I I don't. I kind of like, I'm, I'm very much in a space of like rapid prototyping and getting things out fast, and Ruby really does itself well for that. Um, and then based on framework. Framework? So, absolute favorite right now. So, I've come to realize in teaching you and Mark, <laughs> uh, you guys actually gave me this huge revelation that um, I think Rails has a lot of problems, actually. Rails is like my, was my favorite framework for a long time. And, uh, but I think it has a lot of problems in the sense that it, it is really hard to learn Rails because there's so much individual disparate pieces, right? Like how you program your controller, how you program your model, how you program your database, they're not like pieces of knowledge that build upon themselves. It's like you have to learn like, like 300 individual pieces to be a good Rails programmer. Um, a framework that I absolutely love right now that I think is the opposite of that is React. So re React, <laughs> React, in my opinion, is super good because it, 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 blew, it blows my mind in the sense that React really comes down to like a handful of principles. Like with React, you talk about state and props, you talk about declarative UI, you talk about um, you know components, and just with those like four or five principles, you can solve an incredible amount. Like we we started using React because it was like. Uh, we wanted to have some kind of sanity around our JavaScript, so we just started sprinkling it in, started testing it. And we don't use Redux, we don't use any kind of like uh, higher level model management, and we've been able to solve so many problems with just vanilla React. Uh, it's crazy. So um, React, you can teach somebody probably within a day, and they, they, they pretty much know everything they need to know about React. Um, and so, like, that's amazing. Right? It's amazing that like these really strong principles can lead to solving like so. Uh, and that's why I really like React. Um, back to the language question, though. I think if you guys want to invest time in a language right now, uh, I think investing in one good object-oriented programming language and one good functional programming language is the way to go. So, like, the only super popular functional programming language right now is JavaScript, right? I mean, I know there's TypeScript and AppScript and all those, but but JavaScript is like. It is super popular right now, and it's found its way to the server, it's found its way into things like React Native and all these things, and Flutter and all this, and um, you know, it's, it's proliferated through all the web, and it's also a very different way to think when you program functional programming language, um, and it's just like taking over the world, and 
it's also influencing other languages. Like, I started seeing a lot of stuff in Swift that's very like JavaScript-y, right? Um, so I, I would invest time and effort in that. But good object-oriented programming languages is also a good place to invest your time. So like whether it be Java, you know, Ruby, C sharp, whatever, and they're all very close, you know. And the principles definitely translate over time. Uh, and I still think there are a ton of jobs out there and a ton that you can do with like straight up object-oriented programming. So not a long word answer. Okay, so Python. <laughs> so so Python. I, I just ultimately I, I haven't really dealt with. I I tried it once. Um, if you try Python without any formal instruction, it's very frustrating language because it's white space dependent. And, you know, it's just like something's wrong with your tabs. It's like I like this is ridiculous. But uh, I actually very much now respect that because it forces everyone to code the same one. Yeah, right? it's, it's actually so really clean. good. And it is very clean, and there's no brackets, right? It's just indenting it, which is really sweet, actually. So it, it's another, it's another actually example. Like, I find frameworks and languages, um, the best ones will uh, make you a better programmer by rewarding you with something concrete, right? So, so I always say that I, I think coding conventions it, it established as a group is actually a very ineffective way to code. So, so let's say you guys get together as a team, or you're managing a software team or something like that, and you say, well, guys, we're going to code this way with these conventions, okay? So we're going to do our if-else blocks like this, we're going to do our for loops like this, we're going to name our variables this way, da 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 right? If, if you're literally just laying out conventions without any concrete reward, people are not going to do it, right? Like, it, like it's just going to fall apart. Like, yeah, okay, if you pay them more money, maybe they'll do it. Like every every, every if-else statement that you do properly will give you a $10 bonus. Okay, they'll definitely do it then, right? So, I mean, that's a ridiculous example, but but the good languages reward you with things like, say Python, rewards you with the fact that your code can actually run. Right, like, like if you don't do it that way, your code doesn't run, and then if you do it the right way, your code is run, right? Yeah. Uh, Rails does this by rewarding you by coding less. So if you follow Rails conventions, you don't have to put as much code. If you don't follow the conventions, you have to add more code and configure, right? So I think like, I, I really respect that about Python, that it, it really, like I'm assuming when you read someone else's Python code, you're never like, this is formatted terrible, because they can't, right? Unless it doesn't run, right? So, so I haven't actually dealt with Python myself. I respect the aspects of it, but I, I don't have a strong opinion about it. So. Okay. I'm assuming that's your favorite language? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How many people's favorite language here is Python? Four. Okay, I want JavaScript or Java. Okay, let's do JavaScript first. And then Java. It's a divided crowd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to move on to the audience questions now. Yeah. Um, so I'll call it. I remember. I remember. Uh, the first question was, "What is something that motivates you when you wake up in the morning?" Yeah. Okay. So I'll give a little preface to this, guys. Um, so when we were starting to organize the AMA, we, we threw up the Slido thing. Um, and I was adamant about like not looking at questions. I was like, I want to come to this thing. I'm just going to answer off the top of my head. Then I realized that that that's maybe not as valuable to you guys because I haven't actually given given it some thought. And the problem is if you kind of improv your answer, uh, sometimes it's not it's not really how you are. It's just like how you're feeling that day. Um, so a lot of these questions I did give a little bit of thought to. Um, this one, what 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 is it? What, what I, motivates you? Yeah. When you Okay, it's actually, or yeah, to do what I do, and to do the best that I can do, or whatever. Um, and, and by the way, if any of you guys want to identify yourself in this question, just raise your hand when it's being asked, and I can, I can get some clarification on this. But, okay, there, there's basically a lot of factors in that, that, that question. Um, I, think, I think when it starts, like when you talk about high school, university, undergrad, these kind of things, um, I think what motivates me a lot in those uh, areas is kind of a sense of responsibility. So it's not it's not about passion, it's not about chasing your dream or anything like that. It's just there's a sense of responsibility to who you are and what you're going to be as a person, right? So I think the the less um, the earlier you're on in life, you basically I think you you know less about what you want to do, 
and you're going to have experiences that change your mind all the time. And I think the sense of responsibility there is to open as many doors as you can, like to maximize your opportunities. And so in high school, for example, um, you know, I was the kind of guy who was like, uh, you know, working really hard on my grades, but doing a crazy amount of extracurricular, right? Like student council, key club, like these kind of things, right? And just because, it, like, because that opened your doors, right? It's like you could get more universities, you could get more scholarships, you could do all these kind of things, right? Um, when I go to university, I actually did a lot less of that stuff. Uh, like, I did very little extracurricular. So you said it exists, ESS existed, I did a bit of that. Um, and I remember, uh, and I've talked this to somebody yesterday, I don't think he's here. Yeah, there you are. Yeah. Um, Garvin. Uh, so you, you can leave, you can hear this whole story. Right? <laughs> um, but basically, um, I was at the Iron Ring ceremony and they gave this award to this girl, and they're listing on all the things that she did. And I just, at first I was like, this really sucks because I'm like, man, I, I used to be that. I used to be that person who did all this extracurricular, and an undergrad I basically did none of that. And, and, but you know what, that feeling passed quite a bit, and I realized that I was really starting to get more in tune with exactly what I wanted to be, and who I wanted to be, and where I wanted to spend my time, and where I wanted to spend my effort. Um, so, as I grow older, um, there is still that sense of responsibility, but it's a different type of responsibility. Um, so, for example, now, um, you know, I think about, you know, I'm married, potentially starting a family in the future, and there's a sense of responsibility about maximizing those opportunities, right? And it's like, you know, do, you know, like, make, you know, make enough money to, to help support my family, and these kind of things, right? So, so one of the things that gets me up in the morning and try to do the best I can do is really that sense of responsibility and still trying to maximize my opportunity, which is unfortunately a very boring answer, but it's, it's very true. It, it, like, like, when I think about, like, um, if I got up in the morning and I didn't go to work, um, it's, it's all, when I think about all the consequences, it's all the responsibilities I have. Like, I have a meeting and I have to meet with my staff, or uh, I have to meet with one of you guys because we just have a meeting or whatever, right? Or like, and it's like, you, you let people down, and, and so that sense of responsibility is not only, you know, these kind of societal responsibilities, but also just, you feel like you don't let people down, right? So. So there definitely is a definitely is a lot of that afraid of what would happen if you don't actually do what you're supposed to do, right? And I, and I will say it is propelled by it's definitely propelled by um, what you set up for yourself in your life, right? So you know I I was raised to work really hard at school, and I think what happens is you get a sense of what happens when you work hard and you study and stuff like that, and you get some results. And you, you feel a slight, again, responsibility to keep that up a little bit, right? But there are a lot of things that like, I did it when I was younger that I stopped doing um, because I, just, I don't care as much about them anymore, right? So responsibility is one of them. Okay. I could have said that. The, there, there are other things, though. Like, definitely, um, on a bigger question, like, what motivates me in general? And I, and I, I thought about this a little bit. Like, what motivates me to start a company, to learn a new language, to learn a new instrument, to do all these things? And I realized. And, and this is very like you, like personal to me. Like, like other people may share this. I won't say it's unique because other people share this. But it's, it's not advice. It's not like do this and you will achieve success. This is just how I operate. I heavily, heavily, heavily operate on feedback. And that feedback doesn't mean somebody telling me I'm good at something. It can be uh, feedback in terms of progress. It can be feedback in terms of like I've created something cool and I like looking at other one, right? So like. Um, I've said this before, but like the reason I do things like web development, app development, uh, film production, uh, music stuff, is that it's all stuff that feeds into my senses, and I can actually be my own audience, right? So it's like when I when I learn a new language, and I'm able to get an app, like an app running. Like the first time I got a React Native app running, like this is cool. This is, this is feedback, right? And that has happened enough times in my life that I, I that. That, that kind of gives me the sense that I, I want to try things at least, right? And that's what a lot of it is. It's just like trying and experimenting, and if the feedback comes, then I will keep going, right? And it's, it'll motivate me to keep driving more and more and more. So, so anything that kind of gives me a little bit of feedback, a little bit of uh, sense that I'm making progress or doing something, those things I find like, really like, work well for me, so. The question, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So you spoke about responsibilities and that, um, Right now, yeah. so 
Uh, let's say you're a student, right? Yeah. We're not married. Yeah. We have, we're not running a company yet. Some of us aren't doing that yet. Yeah. Hopefully some of us are married. <laughs> um, right? So how would we as individuals find motivation in like, you know, Yeah, and and again, this is it's tough for me to give advice on this because again, I think everybody operates differently, right? Um, I, I was talking to Garvin yesterday about learning stuff, and it's like you want to find things that work for you and how you learn, right? I always talk about it, like I, I lecture as you twenty nine hundred, but lecturing is actually a really bad way to learn. Um, so, so same thing with motivation. Right? I, I will say I will give you guys some words here, but it's it's tough because. You kind of have to find. I almost want to say you kind of have to find why you were motivated to do something in your in your past. Like like if you did something in your past, find out why that worked for you. Like why did you continue to do that and why did you pursue it? What what are the characteristics of that? And then you can probably apply that out. Just like with me and feedback. When I think about all the stuff that I've done at work, it's stuff like feedback, right? So that works for me. So so I I'm not afraid to try those things that give me feedback, right? Um, I think the responsibility aspect is still a reality for you guys. Like you guys are probably studying to hopefully get a job, or you know, build your future, or start your own company, or whatever, right? And the reality is, doing like things like working hard in school, or networking, or being part of clubs and all that stuff are going to just increase those chances. They're going to maximize those opportunities that you have, right? And that's what a lot of that is, right? It's like, like you can't like create luck. But you can definitely maximize the potential for you to experience good luck, right? So to be successful, you have to have a little bit of luck. But let's say, like, you know, you want to work at a big software company, right? Uh, you may get lucky, right? Um, but if you apply to one company, your chances of being lucky in that one company are very small, as if you apply to thirty companies, right? It's just maximizing those chances. So, so getting good grades, networking, being part of clubs, and all that stuff—it just all maximizes those chances, right? Um, so I think if, if you think of it that way, um, that may help. But I don't think it's really a driving motivation factor because you're not seeing results like right now. Yeah. Right. Which is the toughest thing. The toughest thing I think is to see the results right now. Um, so if I'm to be honest, I don't know. I really don't. I don't know what, what motivated you when you were a student. When I was a student. Yeah. Was it? Uh... I think. I think it's the feedback thing again. Like, like I. So, this is gonna sound like a brag, and and it is kind of, <laughs> kind of a brag. But I did really well in high school, and everyone said your drops, your marks drop like ten to twenty percent in the first year of university, and mine did. Like, I worked really hard, and things were fine, right? And I think that that was it, though. It was just like proof. That if I studied hard and worked hard, this was actually going to pay off, right? And I know that's tough because that's not the case for a lot of people. A lot of people work like day in day out, and they still don't get like that feedback. They still don't get the marks, and they get disillusioned. They're like, "Why would I put in those extra hours and not get the marks?" Right? Um, and what I say to that is, is that's okay. Like it, it's okay. Like just realizing the consequence. Again, talking about Garvin yesterday. I talked to Garvin for an hour or so. And I'm telling him, like, look, 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 if, if you're getting you know, certain marks and putting in two times the amount of effort only raises those marks by a couple percent, it's not really worth your time. That, that's not really that big of a difference in the long run there, right? And so, so you can either decide that you know, this is good enough, it, it's not so bad that I'm not going to get a job. I might not get my ideal job, but it's good enough that I can actually get some interviews and things like that. But then spend your effort somewhere else where you do have that feedback and that positive feedback where you're actually excited to do something, right? Like you do something and, and you're like, oh my god, the code compiled. Oh my god, like this is on my phone. Oh my god, I shared it with my friends. Oh my god, they're using it. And it just, just builds and builds and builds, right? Um, and so that's why if you guys are thinking of pursuing something, whether that be your own project or getting better marks in school or whatever it is, I, I highly, highly recommend setting very small, very achievable goals. Things that sound so stupidly easy that you know you're going to achieve them. Because that feedback acts as like positive motivation, right? Like if you're going to program 
an iOS app and you've never programmed it in your life, your first goal should be to Google the definition of Swift. All right, that's it. That should be a five second job and you should be able to do that. And that'll be like, great, this is awesome. I've, I've achieved my goal, what's my next goal? Okay, learn a little bit. Learn how to write a variable. So hello world. Yeah, hello world. That's a little bit bigger. But you know, like, like small incremental achievable things that you know you can achieve. Start there, right? Because otherwise, and, and those are like the small experiments I'm talking about, right? Because then you'll get that feedback, and then you'll know, is this something I'm going to want to keep going with, right? Um, there's a whole philosophy of MVP, like minimum viable product and agile development. It's all based on this exact same principle, right? It's basically just, just do enough to get a little bit of feedback so that you know if you want to continue. I will move on to the next question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this is going to tie into your business. Okay. So, first, would you like to give a little description? Sure, sure. Your business? Uh, so, for those who don't know, I run a custom software and video production firm called ByteSight, as I think mentioned. Um, so, it's basically a split company operationally. Uh, the custom software side and the video production side don't really operationally do things together. Um, custom software basically means literally building software specifically for one group or client or whatever, right? So uh, usually custom software is is like, let's say you want to set up an e-commerce store, you would go to Shopify and you build a store in Shopify to sell your products, and then you realize Shopify isn't really quite meeting your needs. It's like, it's really great for like 90% of businesses, but for your business there's something that's missing. Uh, one option you would do is you would go to a custom software shop to have them build something specifically for you. Um, so our medium mainly is web applications, uh, but we also dabble in mobile applications. And then the video production side uh, is corporate videos. So training videos, animated explainer videos, testimonial videos, mini documentaries, things like that. So, right. so the question is, yes. what is the hardest part about running your business? Okay. Um, so, a bit of transparency here. Uh, so I seeded the Slido questions just to make sure that people weren't really afraid to be the first question. This is actually my own question. <laughs> um, I didn't think we would ask my own questions. Hardest part about running my business. Okay. Um, there are definitely a lot of tough parts about running a business. And this is, by the way, an idea that I'm starting to get a little bit, um, not obsessed with, but a little bit interested in. Is that you guys know how this, this whole syndrome of like following people on Instagram and Facebook and how it, produce, like, it presents a false image of who the people are? Right? It's like you get all these like glamour shots on Instagram and they're like living life on the beach every day, but then really behind the scenes, you know, there's there's a whole lot of like stress and anxiety and all this stuff going on behind the scenes. But what's interesting is that in in, in business it actually happens a lot too. Um, I, I see it on LinkedIn a lot. Like like all we talk about on LinkedIn is all our successes and and it portrays this certain level of success that your your company has achieved. Um, and it's not that you're lying about it. But you're not really sharing a lot of the other stuff that you have to deal with in the business, um, and so it's, I think it's good to talk about this. And so there, there are a lot of really tough parts um, about running a business. I think the toughest part right now that like, that comes to mind right now is really fighting the urge to micromanage. Um, so if, I mean, you guys might have heard this term, but basically micromanaging means like effectively doing the other person's job. Probably a lot of you guys do this in group work, right? Like you probably have a team and then that person's not doing their job, and so you do their work for them, right? In, in business, you don't want to do that. Like you either fire the person, or you find a way for them to make it work, right? Because the reason you have somebody else is you're supposed to operate more efficiently than one person would operate, right? Um, when you run a business for a long time just yourself, and then you start hiring people. Um, it's it's really hard to let go of the way you do things, the way you built the business, the successes that you achieved, and the way and all that stuff, right? Um, so it, it's tough to like tell someone to do something, and then find that balance of giving them enough tools that they can actually do their job without micromanaging. That's a really tough thing, because um, your tendency is to handle it. Your tendency is like. If I don't handhold them, they're going to screw this up, right? Um, and and you'll you'll basically say like, like, hey, Rhythmic, uh, I want you to go program um, this new screen on this app. Uh, it's a form for people to submit their contact information. 
and uh, educate you to do that, right? And the tendency will be for me to say, okay, so kind of what you want to do is you want to set up the controller, you have the contact action, uh, you have the model, and you kind of, and then so you don't really think, yeah. right? And, and the reason the tendency is to do that, at least for me, is that you end up, you just don't want it to screw up, right? You, like, you, like, you don't want uh, you to, to make a mistake and, and send bad code, and, and, and then the, the really tough part because is when I start to get like really big features and really big tasks, um, because it's like, if they go down a wrong path, they will spend maybe a week or two working on something that's really down the wrong path. And so you really try to like micromanage, but but it's tough because you shouldn't be. It's like the worst thing you can do as a manager, um, because one, your employees never going to grow. They're not going to learn the mistakes themselves. No, sorry, learn the lessons themselves, make the mistakes themselves. Um, they're they're going to be demotivated because they have no creativity. They have no control over the work. Um, you know, they you set up an environment where you're basically telling your employees not okay to mess up. And it should be okay to mess up. Um, and so it just riddles so many bad things. And the number one thing it does is, is it doesn't scale your business. Like, why are you hiring this person in the first place if you're not going to let them do anything, right? And let them do it themselves. And so, so I find myself these days a lot of times, um, like, a mistake will come up. And I, I try my best these days to ask myself, is it really that big of a deal? And if it's not a big deal, I try as much as possible not to say something. And that, that's a tough thing, to be honest. It's very tough to notice a mistake and not say a word, right? Um, and I find that very, very tough right now. There's a lot of tough things within the business, but like right now in my mindset, as I kind of grow the team a little bit, um, you know, it's, it's really tough to do that. And then you can talk to Jack. Jack's one of my employees. <laughs> you can see how I'm doing. But, uh, uh, and you know, the other thing that's really tough about that is every employee is different. Some employees really want that handholding, and some really don't. And finding that kind of balance is, is a very, very tough thing. Um, one of the things that I really inspires me about you is that you kind of are living the dream that most of us want to live. And the dream is uh, that you're working for something that you're passionate about. Right. Right. One of all of us want to work for something that we're passionate about. Yeah. And I kind of want to go back a bit and say or talk about, it is software engineering, right? Yep. But then you went to film school. Yeah. So what was that transition and why did you yeah, yeah, do yeah. that? Uh, some of you have heard this because I said this in class, but um, I, so first of all, like, it's true. Like, like, I think there are a lot of things that people say about me that I, I don't fully agree with because, like, First of all, I don't take compliments well. Um, but secondly, like, like I, I, I try to like illustrate that. Look, I'm, I'm like just like you in a lot of ways, and it just happens. I'm, I'm like you're looking from the outside. But to be working in something that I'm passionate about, that's 100 percent true. Like, like when I get stressed at my job, I definitely think like this is awesome. Like I'm, I'm programming in the frameworks and languages that I like to program in. I'm producing work that I love. I'm filming. Like I'm scripting. I'm storyboarding. I'm doing all this stuff, and that, that's 100 percent true. Um, back to the, your question though, um, so again, I've said this before, so I, I, I did a little bit of programming in high school, um, then 2001-2006 was undergrad year, uh, had a program job for a really long time, but effectively from like, early, like late 90s to 2011, I was like not passionate about software at all. Um, in fact, I, 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 if I want to say the story with the fact that I just say I hated software. I didn't hate software, but I really was not passionate about it. Um, I was very insecure about it. Uh, I, I, being around my peers in the university, they weren't jerks. It's just like, it's just like I felt very intimidated about all of them because like, like these are the kind of types of people who, by the way, I came later on. But these kind of people who would like who would know about the latest frameworks, know about the latest languages, you know, like I'm still at the point where I, I love talking to students because they'll I always tell this, but they'll say something in a casual conversation, like have you heard of blah blah blah, uh, Figma? Yeah. Like have you heard of Figma? Like no idea what that is. And then I have to go home and Google it because I'll feel insecure about it. And uh, <laughs> then I learn about it, right? But in university I felt very insecure about all that stuff. Um, I was never a great programmer. Uh, I was always behind the curve. And I wasn't really that into it. And I got really, like I remember one time one of my friends, 
colleagues, I don't know if he's close to a friend. Uh, he said, like, he got so mad at me about the way I quoted something. Right? He's just like, how could you, how could you ignore the security, or how could you like, not do that in a efficient way, da 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 And I remember just being like, uh, it doesn't matter, man, I'm going to film school. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about this stuff. Um, but it's true, like, I really didn't enjoy it that much. Um, I, I was always into stuff that wasn't really uh, software. Like, don't get me wrong, like, there were moments that I really enjoyed. Um, but it wasn't, like, like web programming wasn't really that big back then, and it wasn't what it is today. Where, like, like, for those of you, by the way, ever thinking about denouncing web, uh, it's just another medium for programming that's as powerful as any other platform, by the way. Um, that's my defensive web developer talking. Um, but, but it was very non-feedback based, right? Because, like, I'm sure you guys have done this, like, you, you worked on a like CSI project or something like that, and it's like all nighters and weeks, and your output is like uh, the angle of inclination is 25 degrees. <laughs> and it's like what the f? Like this is like this is this is what the output of like that is, right? And then you admire the algorithm and you admire all the things that goes into it, but it's like like this is it. I can't show this to my friends. I can't do that. like I can't watch that over and over again, right? Um, that really. Uh, Close to a true story. There's like computer architecture, or computers, data structures course that we stayed up all night and it was really brutal. Um, but um, so I just really wasn't into software. And one of the things, one of my side uh, uh, side kind of uh, projects or hobbies was filmmaking. Uh, in fact, in, in high school is when I got the bug. Um, so I, I used to watch DVDs and watch all the behind the scenes stuff. And I, I said, Hollywood seems amazing, Hollywood filmmaking seems amazing. But in high school, I said, like, this is not really realistic. This is like a really crazy thing to pursue. So I said, I'm gonna go into software engineering because video games are kind of like movies nowadays, right? Uh, back then, like, you know, Metal Gear Solid was coming out, Splinter Cell, all these things like that. And these are so cinematic. Um, so maybe I'll get the video game program. So that's why I did software. So I kind of went into software a little bit as a secondary thing. Um, and and then, um, so I, I really, my second, third year, so the second year I filmed a reality series with a couple friends of mine. It was about university life. And um, my life for four months was like, go to my co-op job, come home, go there and film, and edit like every day for like four months. Um, and so I just really into that. And so I said, you know, I'm gonna finish my undergrad and then go to film school and try that out. And that's why I ended up going to film school, so. And uh, how did you, like when you're, Thinking of right, starting mindset. Yeah. Um, how did you make stand like software? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not related. They're not like you, you just don't like <laughs> think of it as like, oh, you can totally make software in video. But yeah. it's not something that comes like right to your mind. No, right? totally. So how did you come up with that? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, and, and it's true. I mean, that's why they're still operationally separate. Kind of. uh, and long term vision that they do well, split them up. Um, so you mentioned that, that people aspire to do things that they enjoy, right? And so if you don't get it in your job, I, I, have, I have this like saying that if, if opportunity doesn't present itself, create your own opportunity, right? And that's ultimately what I did with Bytesign. It's like, like I'll, I'll tell you the num one of the biggest driving factors for me uh, uh, following Bytesign, it's very petty. But it's true, it's very true. Uh, one of my biggest motivators was, I don't feel like I was being recognized at any of my jobs. Like, every job I worked, they would pat me on the back and say, Casey, you're such a great programmer, you're doing great things, but nothing would come of it. Like, I would never get a promotion, never be uh, moved up, never be put in front of customers, it was always everybody else, right? And so, I, I didn't say like, okay, because of that I'm forming a business, but for sure that's one of the reasons. Like, for sure I was like, you know what, no one, no one is giving me any of the recognition that I think I've worked really hard to earn. You were getting the feedback. Exactly, I wasn't getting the feedback, you got it. Um, so, I was like, like no one's, I'm never going to climb the ladder to become CEO. So how do you become CEO? You just start your own business and call yourself CEO. Right? <laughs> um, so, same thing goes for what we do in the business. Um, don't get me wrong, part of it was you had to figure out what would make money, what, what people would actually pay for. But I kind of just threw it out there as, everything that I enjoyed doing. So I enjoyed doing programming, I enjoyed doing graphic design, I enjoyed doing photography, I enjoyed doing videography. 
Um, so when I started BiteSight, that was that was my first uh, way I advertised it. Now, it was centered around websites. Um, that's why it's called BiteSight. Um, and so I had a, a thing like you could come to me and build a website, but you could have all these add-on packages. Because I knew like if you wanted a website, you might want photography for that website. You might want videography for that website. You might want graphic design. So I kind of like advertised it that way. Um, and those are all things that I enjoyed doing. Right? Like I, I, I really tried to make it things like, look, I have uh, you know, these skills, and a lot of people are telling me that these skills like they would use, and in my jobs, they were doing the same thing, they were using these other skills. So I was like, why don't I just throw it all up there? Right? And that's kind of what, how it happened. And then the second, second iteration of the website, um, it wasn't just focused on websites, it was like, just here are all the services. It was kind of like a general agency that offered all these services. And then the ones that really stuck were Websites and video. So then eventually it whittled down to that. Okay. Uh, so this is a question that. Uh, okay, so one of the questions we got was if I were to interview for a job at BiteSite, <laughs> what should I not do? What should I not do during the interview? Does anybody want to identify themselves? No? Okay, cool. Maybe not <laughs> um, This is a really hard question because. There's a ton of stuff you should do. <laughs> you know, like don't show up with a knife. Uh, like, like, you know, there's, like, there's a million things you shouldn't, shouldn't do. Okay, so I thought about this a little bit, and I thought the best piece of advice I could give here is um, there are a lot of things when you're interviewing for jobs that you just can't control. And so you shouldn't worry about that. Okay, so like, for example, if you go into an interview and they ask you a Python question that you've never done Python before, uh, you can't change that. Like you can't overnight all of a sudden like just be an expert in Python, and you shouldn't ever profess to be, right? Um, so, so the things that you can't change, just don't worry about, right? Like if you are a shy person, there are things you can do to work on that, okay? But you should never do it to a level that you're uncomfortable with or that you don't agree with, right? Um, so in terms of things that you shouldn't do. Um, this kind of goes back to maximizing opportunity and, and maximizing um, uh, your, your chances of luck and stuff like that. Um, what I would say is don't, um, don't think you, you have the job or the position or the company figured out. Right? Like don't think that like going in there you're like, I know I don't want this. Or, I got a job already. I, I I don't care about this job, whatever, right? And and that level of like apathy or like like despair. I don't care what job it is. Like, I would highly recommend you show respect and you treat that like any other interview, okay? Because you never know what's going to come of that. You may lose that job that you just had, right? There's a lot of people who get call jobs and then the company falls right before the term starts. I've seen it happen. Um, you might not know where you run into this person again, right? Bite site, the way we're tracking, we're going to be the next Apple by next week, so we're set. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, but no, seriously though, I mean, like, you never know what's going to happen, right? So I would say something they should not do is is not go in not caring, right? Like, like show the respect, show the care, um, and and I think that's probably the best advice I can give to them. What you shouldn't. Advice. I will keep that in mind for future interviews. Because you've done it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the next question uh, I remember is there's only about unicorn developers. Yes. So, so for those. Is that person in the room? I asked about unicorn developers. Yes. Yeah, he is. I, I'm not the person. Okay. Okay. okay I'll let him. Yeah. Yeah. But so for those of you who don't know what unicorn developers are, they're basically developers that design the product, and then also develop it, right? So the question was, when you're hiring a co-opsin or a full-time employee, would you want to hire a unicorn developer, or split it up, split it up and just a designer and then develop And also, do I believe in them in the first place? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, like, right there, I have to Google, Google this. <laughs> uh, there's so many, like, there's, I was on a panel, And one of the questions was about, was about imposter syndrome. And I, I totally didn't know what imposter syndrome was. So I totally had to Google what a unicorn developer was. So first of all, I, I definitely believe in them. 
Like, no question. I, um, I, I think the mistake that people make is assuming that generalists are not as good at things as specialists are. Um, I just naturally think some people are better at things than other people are. Um, so you can have somebody who is a great programmer and great designer, and that is better at both of those than a specialist programmer or specialist designer. I, I, I've met people like this. Um, I very much think that even being a generalist in, uh, like can help you with one or the other. Like You may become a better designer because you're a good software engineer or developer. You may be a better developer because you're a good designer. Like They, 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 can, they can have that. So 100% believe in that. Hiring. Um, so this is the other thing I believe in. Um, so I think that as good as a multi-talented person can be, if that multi-talented person is dedicating very little time that they have to one discipline, chances are somebody who is dedicated to that job 100% of the time, like a very high probability, they're going to be a lot more productive and a lot better than the business. So I'll give you an example. So let's say, let's say you're thinking of a unicorn developer, okay? And let's say, let's say he, is, let's, let's use Jack, I'll go pick on Jack. Okay, let's say Rithik is a unicorn developer and Jack is just a developer. And let's say Rithik is a better developer than Jack is. Okay. He's better developer than Jack is. If Rithik spends 99% of his time because he's so busy on designing and only 1% of the time on development, and Jack spends 100% of his time on development, even if Rhythmic is better than Jack, it's, it's not going to be that big a, it's, it's not going to be such a substantial difference that Jack is ultimately not going to be more productive than Rhythmic is. So, so ultimately, I think if the business is in a position to have enough work for both positions, then I believe in hiring separate. But the reality is, excuse me, the reality is though, like Bytes, like, we're a very small company, and a lot of times we don't have enough work to sustain a full-time developer and a full-time designer. We have a lot of times we have just enough work to sustain like a developer who has spent 25% of their time designing. So at this stage in our company, we are hiring full-stack design or full-stack developers who happen to know a little bit of design. Um, but uh, if the business needs were different and we were growing and we had more business, then I would 100% believe in splitting them up. Because as good as a unicorn would be, um, if their time is split, it's just they're not going to be broken. So, so unicorns, you would suggest good for startups. Yeah. And then once you have the resources, it's open. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next question we have is, um, let's see. So this kind of ties in with the designers, right? Uh, do you think that UX slash UI designers should know coding? Right. Love this question. Whoever answered this or asked this awesome question. Short answer: No. I don't think a UX designer or a UI designer uh, needs to know code. Uh, in fact, I think it can be an asset if they don't know code because they don't think of the limitations of code. Right? It's like why product owners and product managers sometimes are better if they don't know code uh, because they don't think about how much effort it's going to take. They concentrate on the user. Right? Like what is best for the user regardless of how long it takes to implement. Right? Um, so I don't think they need to know code, but that comes with a big button. <laughs> comes with a big uh, caveat. Um, so I think sometimes when people ask that question, it comes from a place of things like fine art or graphic design. Like if I'm a good graphic designer, can I be a good UI UX designer? You can be, but I think the important thing to know about design in different fields is they all have their own language. Right? There is a design language to UI design. There's a design language to UX design. How something is laid out, how a user will interact with the screen, how a user will move their mouse, how they will type, like where their eyes will go, all this stuff. It's, it's a language in itself. Right? And so I think that you can get UI and UX designers speak that design language, specifically for UI and UX. Okay? So I think that is very important. And knowing code and being a developer can sometimes really help with that. Uh, sometimes because you're in it a lot, 
right? You're just, you're just in front of your code a lot, you're in front of apps a lot, you're in front of your, your, your demos a lot. You start to develop that language. You see all these websites and say, oh, it's very common that the menu is in the upper right. It's very common that you know, we read screens from left to right and then down like there's a Z pattern and talk about F pattern and stuff like that. Like speaking that language, I think it's very important so that your design decisions are a bit more founded in, in data and founded in uh, something that's more than just impulse spending, right? Um, so especially on UX design. UI design a little bit. Like UI design, again, is the final polish on the UX. So like, you know, the colors, the boards, all these kind of things. And um, you still have to speak the language, right? Um, you know, how, how do people react to buttons? How do people react to things that are free versus not free? That's why material design is such an uh, awesome uh, set of philosophies. Because they're basing material design on real physical world, right? So it's like, if you have a shadow behind something, you will process that as that's something that's on top of something behind it, right? And so speaking that kind of design language is very important. So do you need to know code? I'd say absolutely not. But you do have to speak the language of UX and UI. I, I know uh, Link, Mark, and I were discussing this before, and we were we were both bent on like you should definitely know how to code. At least you should know how like the front end works or like the HTML CSS. Just like that's right. That's my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Like it's just so. I I guess, but I do like the point that if they don't know how to code, they're they're um, more imaginative. Yeah. Right? They can that maybe. UX UI designers that know how to code might not think exactly. that, which is and not to something I didn't think of, which is really And not to mention, like, like their focus should really not be on the code. They're, they're, they're called UX designers, user experience. They should be focused on the user. So they should be looking at users and how users operate, right? Without regard to how the code's going to work, right? So like, for example, if, if a user said, I'm not going to use this unless, um, you know, uh, I don't know, the page doesn't reload or something like that, or da da. And and then the web developers talking about like like we're talking about something impossible like we really can't do this or whatever right um, they're like but guys the user just not going to use it if we don't do that right they should be focusing on that right and if anything for them not knowing code they might push the industry forward a little bit right like think about I don't know if you guys like know Ajax but the web before Ajax was a very different web and um, you know Ajax really opened up the doors to be like. A, a web app can almost feel like a desktop app, right? I'm sure you guys use Google Docs. Google Docs is like a really impressive amount of web code uh, because it behaves like a desktop app. And you know, the UX designers are probably like, we want the user experience of a desktop Microsoft Word app in the browser, right? And if, if you were the first developer to be on that team, you'd be like, what the app? Like, this is, I quit. I'm out of here. Right? So, so yeah. Thanks. Next question. Um, so this is a bit more on the comedic side. Is it true that you're once part of a breakdance crew? Yeah, um, I'm very curious who found this out. But uh, yes, I was. I probably talked about it. I probably talked about it in class. Um, yeah, I, I spoke in high school. Uh, I used to breakdance. Uh, so I I remember my family friends were. Uh, they got into these two breakdance movies, uh, Beat Street 2, I think, Electric Boogaloo, or <laughs> something. Oh, no, no, it's Breakin', Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo, and, and Beat Street were the two breakdance movies. And I remember watching them and I thought, man, it'd be so cool to try that out. And so, feedback, I, I played this movie in my basement and I started trying it out and it kind of worked and I was like, this was kind of cool. And so I formed this breakdance crew and we started breakdancing. And we would like breakdance at every like formal that we had. Uh, we performed at the Super X. Um, it's, like, I don't know if you guys know that as an exhibition. Uh, we started performing at fashion shows and stuff like that. Um, now, so now I only do it at weddings. So like, like I'll, go to, I'll, I'll, I'll go to like a friend's wedding and because my family friends will know that I breakdance, I'll like do it. And uh, I'm horribly out of shape, and way more out of shape than I was back then. So it usually doesn't end well. Like, it's, it's, like cold muscles and, and yeah, and, and danger. Like like there's this one move I do where I kind of kind of basically back roll and then kind of into like a headstand. 
And I swear to God, like, I should not do that anymore, because that's like one step away from paralysis. <laughs> so yes, our, our, our crew was called ABS, the Aggressive Breaker Society. And we ripped off, um, we ripped off slogans because I remember my, my older sister went to Queens undergrad and she, there was some group there that had really kind of aggressive, kind of cocky posters. Like, you only wish you were part of us and stuff like that. So we adopted that. And so we had posters all over the school, like, you only wish you were as cool as us and like, all this stuff. So yeah, that's what, that's what it was. So. But really like straight place, like good, like people. <laughs> you know, so. Interesting stuff. Okay. So this is a question about, I guess, team organization, yeah. right? So how do you and your team work together to meet goals? Yeah, um, we're, one thing I pride myself on the bite side is that we're, we're quite process-oriented. Um, so on the software side, we, are, we have a modified Scrum that we use. And I think when you have a good process in place, it's, it's pretty easy to, to work together as a team because Everyone's just following the process, right? So uh, we use Trello to manage our stuff, and it's like, it's very simple. It's just like, we have, this is what we want to do this week. Try your hardest to take your tasks and do them. Uh, and then we have a whole process around like code review and all this stuff like that. So I think, I think having a good process in place is, is very key to team, team uh, dynamics and, and team organization. Um, and I think, in terms of like philosophy and, and the decisions that you make, uh, I think that's a little bit my job as a manager and a leader. And what I try to do is I try to explain a lot of philosophy and stuff around it. So, so when I when I introduce like a, a task for a developer to do, I, I don't just say like do this task. Like sometimes I know the task seems terrible because sometimes the task will be, hey, you know that thing you built two weeks ago? Uh, I want you to get rid of it. Like that that that'll be the task. Right, and if I, if I just tell you that, or just assign the card to you, that's really bad. So I kind of try to explain the motivations and things behind it. And I think when you explain motivations, then the team can kind of get behind it. They understand, oh, I know why I'm doing this, so I'm going to be motivated to do it. Right. So um, I think process and also making sure your team is aligned in terms of goals and the way you do that, just by talking about the goals, I think is a good way to kind of work together. So uh, I think we have an audience question. All right. Yes. Just. Contributing to what was said right now, um, when you're assigning tasks, should you just give the task and give the reasoning why, or should you also open yourself to suggestions as to uh, how you know how to do it? Yeah, how they would do. It. Uh, so that's micromanaging. So that's that's what I'm talking about trying to avoid, and it's a balance again. It is a balance because it's like again. Is this somebody who needs handholding, or is this someone who doesn't? Right? I was saying how, how to do it. Yeah. I mean, not, not telling them how, how to do it. Yeah. going to do it. I'm saying uh, ask them for suggestions uh, if they think the task is right, or if Oh, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, yeah, that's exactly the opposite of what we're yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, that, that's totally cool. I think what works best at, at, our, at, at our company is we have you know a, a number of tasks that people have to do. Um, and we kind of free for all them. It's like you pick the one that you want to do, and you just do it. And like us as a team, we just know we need to get them all done, right? So um, you know, if you're working on something else and somebody else finished their part first, then they will take the next one because they're free now, right? So it's kind of maximizing that. Uh, and what we try as much as we can to kind of help each other out when the deadline comes to say, like, hey, we we all need to do this together. So is there any help we can do or whatever? Um, but yeah, it, it, we do give a bit of freedom and flexibility there to say like, what do you want to work on? But where we don't give that flexibility is a little bit of the product management side. So when we, we separate our product management and our product development into two different groups of people, basically. And the product managers are the ones who are really deciding on the priority and what should be developed, right? And the developers don't always agree with that, but that is, again, a big part of my job because I'm kind of the bridge between product management and development, and I kind of tell them, these are the motivations, this is why we're doing it. And it's almost like I'm trying, I have to sell the developers on this is what we're doing or whatever, right? But beyond that, we do give them a lot of flexibility and creativity to say, these are the things that you can do, and you can pick whichever one you want, so. Okay, so we are running Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'll ask one more question. Um, so this is for a startup that is looking to develop uh, SaaS or mobile product, right? So software as a service, right? Um, 
What are the things that they should validate slash test before investing in development? Yeah, this is a good question because I, I, I talk to a lot of students about this. Um, not about that specifically, but the lesson learned from this. A lot of students come to me with product ideas and, and want advice on creating a product. You guys. <laughs> um, and the first question I ask them is, are you in this because you want to get more experience as a software developer, or are you in this to make a viable, successful business? Okay. They are not 100% mutually exclusive, but if you're starting out as a new developer, they're most likely in conflict with each other. I'll give you an example. If you want to build, uh, I can use iOS. If you want to build a Rails application, and you've never done Rails before, and you want to get great experience in Rails, and you want to build this, you want to build the next Facebook. To learn that and program it might take you a year or two, right? It'll take a long time. Um, and that's really good if you're in it for the engineering reasons. If you're in it to get more experience, become a better developer, 100% do that. But if you're in it for business success reasons, that might be a really terrible way to go because that is really slow time to market. Two years to the market is like really long. Like to be honest, you should be able to get to the market or just have something built in MVP in weeks, right? So if you go down this route of like you have a SaaS idea or you have a product idea or whatever, and and you are, are you want to validate things before you get to code before you develop, ask yourself first what you're in this for. And by the way, that can change over time. That can definitely change over time. That can change day to day. But decide what you're in it for. Once, if, you, if you've decided that it is for the business reasons, the question comes down to what can you validate or what should you validate before you go into code, okay? Um, it kind of, it's kind of a leading question in a way. You should validate your, your product idea, right? But, but how do you do that? There's a lot of ways to validate product ideas in terms of like building prototypes, using existing software, um, talking to people, getting that feedback way before you touch code, okay? Uh, I'll give you an example. So I've had this idea for a long time about creating this marketplace for custom. Okay. So the idea is that it's not generic art where you can enter your name Jack and then you have this nice t-shirt that says Jack on it, right? But more that you have art that's specifically designed around the letters J-A-C-K in a specific way. Right? So it'll be this marketplace where artists can go on and upload um, name art specifically to people's names. Like my friend got me this gift one time and it said Lee on it, but it's kind of a cool design. And it would only work with the letters L and I. So that's such a cool design, right? So I want to build a marketplace where artists can upload these things and then customers could buy this stuff and then attach it to t-shirts or whatever and could also request like, oh, my name you know, is Rithik, can you create a custom name art for me or whatever, right? So this is the idea. So to build this app, it would take quite a long time, actually. So what I could do to validate the idea, and if I listen to my own advice, um, is I could literally go on to something like Teespring. So Teespring is something you can upload custom art and put it on a t-shirt and sell it, right? I can create those t-shirts and sell them on Shopify. I can do all these things before I actually build the app, right? The software out there to validate this idea. If I put it out there and people start buying this stuff, I'm like, hey, maybe there actually is a market for this, right? Maybe I'll get other designers to come and start posting their stuff. And then, oh, now that now people are really interacting, okay, now maybe I'll build the platform, right? So you can test your ideas this way. Right? Uh, Kijiji is a, is a good example, right? You can test a lot of ideas on Kijiji, right? And validate that there's actually a market around there, right? So the biggest thing to validate is, will people actually use your app? Will people actually, like buying is, is, a, is a different thing, but will people actually use what you're trying to build, right? And you can ask people, you can do surveys, you can, you can build prototypes, you can use existing software. There's a lot of things you can do before you actually start to build your own. Um, there's a company in town called RVZ, I think, and they're a marketplace for renting RVs. And their very first app, I believe, was built in Joomla, which is like a, a, a is it Python? No, not Python. It's a, it's a content management system, kind of like WordPress, right? So they built an app on WordPress, and then when they got funding and everything, then they went to build it from scratch and build a custom software. So there's a lot you can prototype, there's a lot you can validate for. And the biggest thing you should validate before you get to code, if you're in it for the business idea, uh, is just validate that people will actually use your app. And I tell you, if you get a real person using your app, that is excellent motivation. That's like the number one feedback that you can get. 
Right? You get somebody who's actually using your app and saying, like, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Right? That's why custom software is very rewarding. Custom software is like you're building software for someone to specifically use and they're paying you money for it. So they're most likely going to use it, right? And so you get a lot of good feedback that way. Cool. Uh, I think I think that kind of wraps up our time here. Awesome. Uh, so thank you. Thank yeah. you so much for coming out. Uh, any last piece of like if uh, let's, let's just say you're never going to see these people ever again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. So any last no, the, way, the way I hang around you all about like, pretty journalists. <laughs> I'm like that high school student that never leaves high school. Is there any like last you advice that you like? Um, I think you guys like. I think my my personal success comes a lot from uh, without sounding too formal, a um, getting very comfortable with small achievable exper uh, experiments. Right. So if you want to try something, just set yourself a small achievable goal and experiment with it. Right. Uh, a lot of what I do is just trying things out, and they happen to work. And we do this all the time at BiteSight. Right. We we implement a a process just by trying it out. Like you know, someone will make a suggestion, we'll be like, okay, let's try it out. I don't know if it's going to work or not. Let's try it out. And then some things will stick, and some things won't. Right. So there's a lot of things that I've tried that have not stuck, and there's a couple things that I've tried that have stuck. Right? My, my most recent one like endeavor was like the podcast. So I did a podcast, I tried it out, and it stuck. And so it propelled me to keep doing it. Keep doing it right? So I think if, if you guys want to achieve success like, like, and you're not really getting it right now, um, try small achievable experiments that can, that can really work. So. Thank you. Thank you right. so much. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks honestly, for the recording. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll hang around if you guys have any more questions.